This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, June 30th, 2022. This week's Intego Mac Podcast includes our usual rundown of security headlines, plus we'll commemorate the 15th anniversary of Apple's iPhone. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern, and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. We've got some interesting news. And I suggested before the show that we create a slug for certain types of malware. And in this case, it's a wide range of routers that are under attack by new, unusually sophisticated malware. And we should make a slug where we just record like 30 seconds of text, and then we insert the name of the malware, <laughs> and then we have the slug to remind people to update their router. Yeah. Well, and that's pretty much all we need to say about this. There, uh, The one thing that's kind of interesting in unique about this new supposedly unusually sophisticated malware, ZooRat it's being called, is that it's likely the work of a sophisticated nation-state attacker, reportedly. Um, but the main thing you need to know, of course, is that if you keep your router fully up to date, if it's got the latest firmware on it, you probably don't need to worry about this. Again, the exception to that is if you have a really old router that's not getting firmware updates anymore, that could also be a problem. So make sure you have a relatively recent router and that it is fully up to date with all the latest firmware updates. Okay. I just went onto Amazon to look how much a new router costs or router, as I prefer to say. Here's one for $70. Here's one for $30. Here's one for $150 with all those fancy things on it. Obviously, you could get a mesh Wi-Fi system, which also works as a router. But you, for less than 100 bucks, you can get a new router. So if your router is more than a few years old and if it's not getting security updates, spend the money. Amazon Prime Day is coming up. They're definitely going to be routers on sale. However, as a reminder, do be a little bit careful to make sure that you're getting a router that's still being updated because Amazon it does still sell some older models that may not necessarily still be getting firmware updates. Same thing if you're trying to shop for deals on eBay. This is something you should always be cautious about. Make sure it's got the latest Wi-Fi specs, so it should be Wi-Fi 6, and have all the latest specifications. Uh, so do be careful about that. So there is a new vulnerability in Intel and AMD CPUs that lets hackers steal encryption keys. Why are we talking about this? Didn't Apple move all its Macs to their own processors? Well, not yet. There's still a couple of Intel-based Macs. This latest vulnerability is being called Hertzbleed, and... It does affect these Mac Pro and Mac Minis that Apple is still selling that do have that Intel processor. Worth noting that we wouldn't recommend that you buy the Mac Pro, which starts at $6,000 these days. It's going to be updated sometime soon to Apple's M1, M2, or M3 chips. I think Apple's kept the 2018 Mac Mini with the Intel processor, 2018, for those people who need a Mac to run Windows or to use specific software. And it's not a bad idea for them to sell it, but at $1,100, it's kind of expensive compared to $700 for the M1 Mac Mini. Right, that's true. Most people should be getting an M1 or M2-based Mac at this point. 
that's the future. If you're still buying an Intel-based Mac, you should be aware that it's probably going to get cut off within the next couple of years from the latest Mac OS updates, which means you're not going to get the latest security updates as well. So that is something to be very cautious about when you're considering buying a new Mac. So Hertzbleed, this new vulnerability, does impact Intel-based Macs potentially. Now, it hasn't really been tested against Max, as far as we know, but it theoretically should also affect those processors as well. However, this is a, the type of vulnerability that's usually used against servers. So if you're a consumer just, you know, browsing the internet, you're probably not, you probably don't need to be worried about Hertzbleed. Okay, we have another vulnerability whose name is a little bit similar. It's Heartbleed. Actually, this is something that is worse than Heartbleed. It's an OpenSSL vulnerability. There's a new version of OpenSSL coming out soon, 3.0.5. Rush to the Mac App Store to get the latest version of OpenSSL, right, Josh? Well, it doesn't quite work that way. So OpenSSL is this underlying technology that comes bundled with operating systems, and this allows for security certificates. It allows you, allows you for example, to go to HTTPS websites sites. Well, actually, Apple uses Libre SSL, which is sort of a, a variation or a fork from the original OpenSSL. Libre SSL is supposed to be more secure. They kind of took out some of the old junk that used to be in OpenSSL that's not really needed anymore. And so theoretically, this is a good thing. Um, Libre SSL uh, just like its predecessor, OpenSSL is usually updated along with the operating system. It's not something you need to install separately or make sure you're checking for updates. As long as you're running the latest version of your operating system, you're theoretically okay from these kinds of vulnerabilities. So why are we talking about this? Well, I was curious and I checked what version of OpenSSL is the latest Mac OS running. And so it told me it was running LibreSSL 2.8.3. And I thought, I wonder if that's a recent version. Is that affected by this vulnerability potentially? It's actually as old as that Mac mini with the Intel processor. Well, that's the funny thing that we discovered is that this version was last released in December 2018. And there hasn't been a version of LibreSSL 2.8 ever since then. They simultaneously released three updates for LibreSSL, the, the final version of 2.7, the final version of 2.8, and then the first version of 2.9, all at the same time on December 15th, 2018. And that's the version of LibreSSL that is still running on a fully patched latest version of macOS Monterey. Now, that's kind of surprising because LibreSSL uh, is all the way up to 3.5.3 now, released on May 18th, and there have been security vulnerabilities that have been patched in the meantime. So, Okay, so we don't need to worry about the OpenSSL vulnerability that's about to be patched, but uh, because we're using LibreSSL under the hood now, but maybe do worry because there are some other vulnerabilities that we're probably susceptible to on the Mac. Okay, if you remember a couple of years ago, a certain president of the United States wanted to ban TikTok, and there was a whole bunch of stuff going on where eventually some company was going to buy TikTok and then they didn't. An FCC commissioner in the United States has called on Apple and Google to remove TikTok from their app stores because he's saying, and we're going to link to an article on Apple Inside that has a tweet embedded, TikTok is not just another video app. That's the sheep's clothing. 
It harvests swaths of sensitive data that new reports show are being accessed in Beijing. I've called on Apple and Google to remove TikTok from their app stores for its pattern of surreptitious data practices. What do we know about this? There have been worries about TikTok and data many times, but is it really as dangerous as this FCC commissioner is saying? We don't necessarily know, but I, I feel like this sounds like fear-mongering. It sounds like someone is concerned that, oh, maybe the Chinese government has access to this data because the company that owns TikTok is based in China and and therefore the Chinese government must have the ability to access all of this data. Maybe there's some degree of truth to that, but you know what? I mean, there's privacy concerns in literally every app. I, I think the biggest concern for some people is that they're worried that the Chinese government is going to be able to get access to your data as opposed to, I don't know, whoever else might want access to your data and be trying to violate your privacy through apps. So my take on this has always been, you know, you can decide for yourself whether you want to use TikTok or not. I don't think we necessarily need the government to tell us we shouldn't use TikTok. It's a social network. You know, it may be for you. It may not be for you. If you're concerned about privacy and in, in particular about maybe the Chinese government having something that they can get from you when you're using TikTok, okay, maybe don't use it. it it's I, I feel like that should be the user's choice. In the letter from this FCC commissioner, he points out that India has already banned TikTok on national security grounds for stealing and surreptitiously transmitting user data in an unauthorized manner. U.S. government officials have urged troops and their independents to erase the app. National security agencies have banned it. The RNC and DNC have warned campaigns about using TikTok based on security concerns and the threat of officials in Beijing accessing sensitive data. Now, we're told that the iPhone is secure, that this is sandbox, that an app can't access data of uh, other data than it's allowed to access. Now, an app like TikTok will ask you to access your contacts. And I think they do this so you can find friends who are on TikTok, right, through their email addresses. But what sort of, how can it be a national security issue if it can't really access a lot of other data? Well, that's the question. I, is it really a national security risk? Probably not. Now, if you are somebody who is an intelligence officer, yeah, you definitely should not be running TikTok, I would say, or probably any social network. Or Facebook or Twitter or it, any yeah, Exactly. Any you, sh network. you shouldn't really be uh, putting social network apps on your device that you're using for sensitive communications. It's just not a good idea. You, you want to make sure you're running the latest operating system always, regardless of who you you are. And you should always be careful, I would say, about what apps you choose to install. Okay, Google has revealed that Android and iOS users in Europe were tricked into installing a malicious application that would steal personal information off the device. Did you get tricked into this? Well, you're not in Europe. I am. I don't think I got tricked into installing an app. Do you know anything about this? This sounds awfully Tom Cruise-ish, doesn't it? Yeah, this is kind of an interesting story. First of all, this malware supposedly comes from an Italian firm named RCS Labs, which I, I hadn't heard of before. Usually we hear about the NSO group and Pegasus spyware and things like that. Um, well, apparently there's an Italian firm that does this stuff too. So uh, they're tactic. They have a couple of different ways they can inf infect your device. If you're using Android, they'll send you an APK file, which is, you know, the standard Android application package. If you're using iOS, of course, it's 
theoretically a little bit harder to hack an iOS device. And so the first thing that they do if you're using iOS is they send you an enterprise certificate and they prompt you to install this. Now, if you ever get prompted... Wait, 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 yeah. wait, wait. So this isn't just like you go to the App Store and you download a thing accidentally. This is another one of these complicated things that most people would never do, right? This is one of those things that you should be aware of um, because occasionally, you know, malicious actors, bad guys will try to get you to install a certificate. If they convince you somehow to install an enterprise certificate, they may be able to bypass certain protections that iOS has in place. And, and the whole purpose of an enterprise certificate, the legitimate reason for it, is so that, say, a company that you work for can push out an app, a customized app, to you, to your device. That's one purpose of enterprise certificates. Now, if a bad guy gets you to install a certificate, that means that they can send you apps that sidestep some of the app store protections. So that's a problem. And, and of course, that's the first step to getting onto your device in this particular case. Okay, so I think what people need to know is don't ever install one of these. Now, you might do this if you have an Apple developer account and you download a profile from Apple. And if you do, you'll understand why you're doing that. There was a time when companies would do beta testing like this. In fact, Facebook did this a number of years ago. But now everyone seems to be using TestFlight, which is an Apple app, which verifies the authenticity of the certificate of the developer that gives you updates, that gives you, you know, full access and information in the TestFlight app. So you should never agree to beta test software for a company if it's not going through TestFlight. And this is iPhone, iPad, and Mac. The other thing that is worth noting about this is that if you install the certificate, then very next thing that it would try to do is exploit known vulnerabilities. Now, these vulnerabilities um, were fixed back in iOS 15.2. So if you were still running iOS 14 because you trusted Apple, who still, by the way, claims in multiple places on their website that iOS 14 will still get security updates for a time after iOS 15 comes out, well, that hasn't been true. And so if you're still running iOS 14, you are vulnerable. If you've got the latest version of iOS 15, you're not vulnerable to those exploits that this malicious app was trying to exploit. Okay, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the teenage iPhone that is now 15 years old. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego. World-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts.
Josh, do you remember where you were on June 29, 2007? I don't particularly remember where I was that day. Now, that was the day that the iPhone actually went on sale. It had been announced months earlier. Yeah, I do remember, though, seeing the very first iPhone. I think uh, it was probably that summer. I had a, a relative who always wanted to have the latest technology and, you know, was fairly wealthy. Compared to other phones at the time, the iPhone was pretty expensive when it first came out. Okay, fair point, fair point. But then they refunded people a couple hundred dollars, didn't they? Well, a few months later. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. That's true. That's kind of an interesting piece of history. In any case, yeah, so that was the first time I'd ever seen an iPhone. And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Now, I was uh, a user of the Palm Trio at the time. So I was used to uh, a smartphone having an extended you know, keyboard, a full keyboard that you could type things out, a physical keyboard. And so the whole concept of like a virtual keyboard, I'm like, there's no way you don't have the muscle memory. You don't you can't feel where the buttons are. How is this ever going to work? I think it worked pretty well, didn't it? <laughs> well, look at where we are today. I mean, there's hardly any phones left that have physical, you know, keyboards on them. It, now, almost every phone, certainly all the smartphones, uh, Android, iOS, they're all using virtual keyboards. And we're all totally fine using them. It's not as yeah, difficult. Yeah, as, it's an adaptation yeah. like any other new technology. Yeah. So you weren't waiting online to buy the first iPhone? Uh, no. Uh, no, I, it, I was taking the wait-and-see approach. I, I thought it was a very cool idea. Uh, of course, when Steve Jobs introduced this, he said, it's an iPod, a phone, an internet mobile communicator. And he repeated this a few times for emphasis. And then he said, these are not three separate devices. Today, Apple is going to reinvent the phone. And it was, you know, Steve Jobs' magical moment, and it was mind-blowing. People were like, wow, you can do this on a phone? It does all these things? That's amazing. So for me, when I saw the presentation, I thought, okay, this is cool, but who needs it? And I really thought like that. I did not have uh, – I mean, I had a dumb phone back then. I lived in a village in the Alps. I didn't really need a phone because I worked from home. I wasn't traveling very far. And so the point of having any kind of a complicated cell phone didn't make sense. I had a pay-as-you-go thing where you got 30 minutes a month or something like that. Since I really didn't have the cell phone experience, I didn't think it was going to be a success. I thought, okay, well, Apple's, you know, they've made some blunders and Newton didn't work, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously I was extremely wrong. And I admit that my lack of understanding of what a cell phone was, was changed by that. So my first iPhone was a 4S and I bought it in early 2012. But my son had a, I think it was a 3GS when he went off to university a couple of years before that. So I was familiar with it. And back in 2007, in the fall, he absolutely had to have an iPod Touch. Because if you remember, the iPod Touch came out at the same time, or a few months after the iPhone, to give people a taste of what the iPhone could do, but without it having the phone in it. Yeah, my, my recollection is, I so I, I my first iPhone was the iPhone 4. Um, but when they very first came out, the first generation of iPhone, remember, was only available on one carrier in the US. It was Singular, which it later kind of became AT&T. Um, and, and so if you didn't have Singular 
or you weren't willing to switch to a different mobile carrier, then uh, it wasn't necessarily a good fit for everybody. And there were some I, some reasons that I seem to recall that Apple wanted to have this tight integration and why they went with one carrier at the outset. I think it's, uh, if I remember right, it's had something to do with, uh, for example, uh, visual voicemail or something like that. They wanted to make sure that this was going to work properly with that carrier. And so they partnered with with one particular carrier. Um, there were rumors, I think, that Apple was trying to work out a deal with uh, some other carriers. I think it might have been Verizon. It didn't work out, and so they went with Singular. And, uh, well, that ended up being a really great thing for AT&T in the long run um, because it got a lot of people to switch to AT&T just to get the iPhone. Yes, it was kind of odd that they did limit the carrier. And I guess it was because they probably had some sort of a deal with the carrier that they would get a kickback from people who would sign up and to buy the iPhone because they weren't sure how well it was going to succeed. And I don't think it really succeeded until they got to the 3G or even maybe to the 4. Now, the 4S, when I bought that, that was the first one with Siri. And that's when the iPhone became an awful lot more than just a phone. I don't remember which version had apps as opposed to Apple's limitation of their own apps and then web apps that came later. But it's true that around the 4 and the 4S is when it grew up. And it also changed from that plasticky kind of what would you call it, like a hovercraft shape to the more, you know, the the steel edge shape with the 4 and the 4S and, and, and that we had, you know, for a long time going forward. Yeah. Wasn't it originally kind of rounded on the back? That was kind of an interesting way yeah, of designing Yeah. Yeah. The back wasn't flat. So if you put it down, it was like a an upside down turtle. Right. Right. Yeah. A little bit different from how we experience phones today, isn't it? Yeah. So which iPhone models have you owned? Let me go first and say which ones I've had. I had the 4S. I had the 5. I think I had a 6. Then I had the first iPhone SE, which I kept for a couple years. Then I had the 8 Plus. Going from the small SE, I said, well, I work at home. I don't really put this in my pocket a lot. Let me get the clown shoe size iPhone. And I liked that for a while. The following year, I got the XS Max because, you know, another clown shoe iPhone. And then I shrunk down to the iPhone 11, didn't buy the 12, and now I have the 13 Pro, but not the Max. And I'm thinking for the 14, do I want to go back to the Max model again? I've never owned a Max size iPhone. Uh, <laughs> I, I, You know, so when when the very first, like I said, the fir my first iPhone was a 4, and then I think I had a, a 5 in between, and then I got the 6, and then I didn't buy an iPhone again all the way until the 10s. The 6 was working fine for me. It ran the latest iOS. I didn't really feel like I needed to upgrade until the 10s came along, and by that point, uh, my 6 was getting pretty outdated, and I really needed something newer. So in the middle of the iPhone's life, the most important feature became the camera. And this is because they reached the point where there were no new features to put in the phone, right? You've got your LTE 4G, now 5G, and the phone, it does video, it does, it plays music, it does all that. So they've had to depend on the camera. And it's interesting. I was talking to a photographer the other day about how ubiquitous cameras are in people's hands. It was, this was a street photographer who, who uses what I would call a real camera, right, and takes pictures of people in the street. And we're talking about how it's it's kind of obvious. But when people are taking pictures with cell phones, everyone ignores them. They're almost invisible. And the cameras in cell phones have gotten so good that, well, for most people, they always have a good camera in their pocket. 
But on the other hand, it is each camera brand has its color, kind of like the way film stock does. So iPhone has its own look and Samsung has its own look, etc. But cameras are probably going to be the key features going forward. I wonder how many people actually buy the iPhone for the camera, but every time Apple introduces a new iPhone, they spend so much time on the camera. And I mean, other than the magical experience of 5D downloads, but the camera really is the main feature, isn't it? Yeah. The other thing that Apple tends to tout whenever, whenever they're talking about the new iPhone is iOS features. They, they go into a lot of discussion about, oh, and then in this, you know, you can do this now. But a lot of those things are still going to be doable on previous iPhones as long as you upgrade the operating system, which, of course, you have to if you want to get security updates. So everybody's going to update the operating system anyway and get nearly all of these features. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that I, I feel like Apple kind of plays a little bit of a game there when they're trying to sell the brand new phone, they tell you about all these great features and they kind of hide the fact a little bit that you can actually get almost all of those features on the previous phone models as well. There's one cool thing about the iPhone 13 though, surgical grade stainless steel. I mean, just think about that. You have in your pocket a device that has surgical grade stainless steel on the edges. I don't know if that means you can operate someone with it, but I, I find it funny how they come out with these features and the way they describe them. So I'm looking on the, the iPhone 13 page and ceramic shield tougher than any smartphone glass and industry leading IP68 water resistance. Now, arguably it has gotten better. Early iPhones would break if you sneezed. They weren't waterproof and they are now. So they have made an awful lot of improvements there, but it's kind of funny. Do you remember the chamfered edges of the aluminum iPhone back in the day? <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting all the different designs that uh, the iPhone has gone through over time. I, I do feel like we're at a, a point right now where the changes to each iPhone version are, are going to be very minimal. Like you're saying, that that's why they focus so much on the camera every time, because it's like, what else can they really do? But we love the iPhone. It's a it's a great product. And, uh, you know, heck, I would never want to use an Android for the experience like the the iPhone is really where the good experience is. There's some functionality that you can get on, on Android if you really want to, but it's just not it's not as cool. Well, if this was an Android podcast, I'm sure the, 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 the hosts would be talking about how cool the Samsung or the Xiaomi or whatever phone is. And, and it's true that there are some really good phones on Android, and there are a lot of features that Apple doesn't have. I think Xiaomi has a 100 megapixel sensor in their phone. There is a lot of progress that Apple has to make. But yeah, it's become this kind of thing. You know, in the first few years, it was really, I don't want to say magical, but it was something special because not many people had it. And now everyone has one. And it's kind of, you know, hardly anyone ever asks me, which iPhone model do I have anymore? People used to ask me that a few years ago, five, eight years ago, because they'd want to know, do you have the latest one? Can I see it? And now... I think in part because of Apple's iPhone upgrade program or different types of financing, a lot more people have access to the high end, which is what Apple wants, right? Right. Well, and again, because there's so little difference between one generation and another, it's not as cool really to look at someone's latest iPhone model. You'll, you'll kind of notice like there are certain things that you can tell just by looking at the back of the phone, again, mainly at the cameras. Hey, that looks like it's a newer iPhone versus that looks like an older one. That one's only got two cameras on it as opposed to the three that you can get on the newer phones. That's true. That's true. 
Okay, that's enough for this episode. If you're a fan of the Tour de France, it starts on Friday, July 1st, starting in Denmark this year. Denmark, France, and Switzerland. So it's a tour de part of Europe. The only real sporting event that I watch. So I'll be in front of my computer or my iPad watching this for the next three weeks. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.